Oh, this is going to be fun. Week five at the Coliseum. The Rams are back in L.A. They're at 3-1 and one atop the division. First place at stake. The throwbacks will be on, and the Seattle Seahawks will be in town. Good evening, everyone. My name is J.B. Long. DeMarco Farr joins me for Rams All Access. And, dear, it really is true. You can sense it this week. The more you win, the bigger they get. We thought Dallas was a huge game. We <laughs> yeah. thought it was a litmus test. We thought it would set the course for the rest of the season. And with that second-half comeback... Boy, does this game feel large well, in the NFC West. This is where you want it to be as an organization, right? I mean, you want people looking at your football team saying, I'm a fan or I'm back on the bandwagon or those guys are pretty darn good. So that's what happens when you beat a Dallas Cowboy club in Dallas. Um, but now the real test begins. I mean, Seattle knows you. They're, you can't sneak up on them. They know Jared Goff. They don't know Sean McVay very well, but... I imagine he's going to introduce himself uh, quickly on, on offense. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, this is what you work so hard for. You, you want to be here in the National Football League. Uh, coming up today on Rams All Access, we've got an ESPN Los Angeles fan poll. Maybe the most lopsided results we've ever had in the history of this show. We'll go four down territory and get the latest from the Pacific Northwest, plus a conversation with Connor Barwin. But, DeMarco, first things first. We want to firmly establish this ain't last year's three and one <laughs> no. Los Angeles Rams franchise. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you were there. I mean, didn't it feel like you were getting away with something when, when you snuck out that three and one? Uh, some of those victories. I mean, this seems hard earned. This is what it's supposed to be about. Anytime your your offense is leading the football team, I, I guess you feel a little more comfortable about what's going on. I, I don't mind defensive led football teams. Believe me, the team that's coming into the Coliseum this weekend is a defensive led football team, but. Something just feels more right about a team that can score on offense and a winning record that's tied to it. It feels right to the tune of a 50-point difference. This year, the point differential is plus 37. Last year, at 3-1, and one, it was minus 13. Yeah. To the point about maybe it feeling a bit like it was smoke and mirror. So here we go with uh, the oldest active head coach in the National Football League, Pete Carroll, once again coming back to his old stomping grounds in the Coliseum, and the youngest coach in modern NFL history, um, Matching wits for the first time, and I think that's part of why three and one feels great, but it doesn't feel like quite the accomplishment yet because only one of those wins has come against the division, and it's been against the bottom feeding San Francisco Forty Nine. Well, you've you've been building toward this moment. Just speaking from the Rams' offense, uh, you know, Indy gave you some problems. Washington beat you. San Francisco was tough. You had to pull that one out, and then Dallas. But this this week, Seattle's defense is a battle tested playoff championship caliber defense and they know how to defend stuff that other teams don't or they can defend stuff that other teams just cannot because just by who they have over there the names on the back of the jersey so this this will be a great test for Sean McVay a great test for Jared Goff remember there's not a lot of respect on that side of the football for Jared Goff uh, there was one guy in particular, Richard Sherman, that mentioned Goff by name so yeah I mean this is going to be one of those battles those, those big heavyweight fights in the Coliseum. And age disparity in Hollywood? We've seen this before. <laughs> uh, Sherman uh, yeah. not only calling Jared by name, but knocking him out of the contest in Seattle last year. Stanford and Cal, uh, the axe once again at stake on the NFL level. Uh, but the perception has changed. And yeah. you said it, the Rams have always played Seattle tough, especially when the Rams are at home. But you can gauge just how much uh, the national perspective and narrative has changed with respect to the to the betting line. Seattle's been favored in 11 consecutive games against the Rams. L.A. started as a slight favorite. It's now a pick em. So even uh, locally and across the country, this feels different. I think audiences know this is a different Seahawks-Rams matchup. I would still call that a win if it's a 
a pick them. Usually it's the opposite. Oh, when you're so, at home and when yeah. you're in first place and you still don't have a line in your favor. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but I would just say, remember the late, great Denny Green when he said, if you want to crown him, then, then crown him. Right. I think everyone's waiting to crown the Rams as the front runner for the NFC West championship. You just have to beat Seattle first. Uh, they're still the gatekeepers. It all goes through Seattle. So Russell Wilson is still the gold standard as far as quarterbacking in this division until somebody unseats him. And the best thing about it is you have a chance this Sunday. Yeah. I can give you one better in terms of bulletin yeah. board material. I saw this on uh, ESPN.com yesterday. The question was asked, which 3-1 and one team are you buying as a playoff threat more, Buffalo or Los Angeles? And I, I think the panel went something like this. Buffalo, neither. Buffalo, 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 really? Buffalo. <laughs> wow. So not wow. many buyers on uh, the Rams as NFC West champions uh, just yet. Maybe that'll change on Sunday. Hey, one thing coming off the Dallas win that you and I both noticed, both really liked, there was a lot of good, but there was also a lot of bad. That first half was not pretty, and the way that the second half started, it felt like Dallas might be on the verge of a victory. So there is plenty for Sean McVay to compliment and criticize but guess who he criticized? Let's start with the uh, lack of touchdowns. When you make a record seven field goals, the question is going to be asked, yeah, but why didn't some of those uh, end up in the end zone? The one series where we end up going, you know, three passes in a row, that's where you look at yourself critically as a play caller and say, let's not lose sight of some of the things we've done a good job that have allowed us to succeed uh, at a pretty good rate so far. So I think some of it is play calling. Um, and then I also think, you know, defensive execution. I really was bothered by the last call that I made, credit Coach Marinelli, third and four. You'd like to punch that in with the touchdown. I think what you try to do is you, is you look at what are those things that can be corrected. Um, but we did move the football fairly well. Um, but I think just looking at the red zone overall, that's something that we got to do a better job of. And, and I think it starts with me. It starts with me, but okay, Coach, you've also come in and taken an offense that was last in the National Football League in scoring, and you're number one through four uh, games. So isn't there some you know, room for patting yourself on the back? Sean, back to you. You feel fortunate to be a part of that, and I think the players have done a good job, but I also can't say enough about our coaching staff. You know, Everybody talks about Jared and what he's done, and, and he's done an excellent job, but I also think it's important to know how heavily involved Matt LaFleur and, and Greg Olson are in his development and those day-to-day -day things um, where he's got an ownership on what we're trying to get done. You look at Aaron Cromer with the offensive line. I mean, I could go through our whole offensive coaching staff, so everybody has a part. Uh, when you talk about we, not me, does that not embody it? You see it. I mean, we try to get him to talk about himself even during the breaks, and he won't do it. Or if he does it, he stops himself immediately and then gives credit. So, yeah, it's not just a slogan, an empty slogan. It's how he feels, and that's how the team is playing, if you ask me. Um, the biggest example of that for me is watching Tremaine Johnson um, and watching how – he went about his business in Dallas going against Des Bryant. Remember, I sat right here a week ago and said, this is going to be a titanic matchup. I can't wait for the trash talk. There wasn't any. Or if it was, I couldn't hear it. I'm on the field with him. So all he did was go about shutting down their number one receiver. And he's so excited when the offense makes a play. I mean, that's the stuff that mm -hmm. generates that buzz, that esprit de corps. And look, I, I got to give Sean McVay all the credit for that. Yeah. I think it's a great tape to teach off of the win yeah. at Dallas because you love to to get your players' attention coming off a win while showing them the mistakes that they made that could have made it that much better. And that's exactly what the story was coming out of Dallas. We'll break it down on offense, defense, and special teams as we continue. Plus, we'll go inside the numbers and around the division. DeMarco Farr and J.B. Long on ESPN LA 710.
Well, after giving up 90 points in the prior 10 quarters, the Rams' defense came alive after halftime in Dallas. Just six points allowed that one touchdown, denying the two-point try to preserve a victory late. Welcome back to Rams All-Access. DeMarco Farr, J.B. Long. We are counting down to kicking off Week 5. The Rams will be at the Coliseum in their throwback uniforms. Hope you will join us for an NFC West tilt against the Seahawks. DeMarco, was that second half? the start of something defensively, the start of what we expected this Wade Phillips defense to be? Well, it was the second half on how to stop Dallas. Um, Playing together, uh, squeezing the run up front. What I mean by squeezing is uh, resist the urge to jump up the field, even if you're allowed to in Wade Phillips' defense, and and creating vertical scenes for Zeke Elliott, uh, who's a top-flight running back. I, I don't think Seattle has that sort of ability at running back, and they definitely don't have the offensive line. Um, So playing it flat down the line is absolutely boring for defensive linemen, especially guys like Aaron Donald. You don't make money playing flat down the line, but what you do is you stop the run, um, and you force them to throw the football, and then you can get after the quarterback. So I think it wasn't a schematic adjustment. It was more of an attitudinal adjustment. Hey, look, it's all about us, not about just individual people. If we play together – we can win this football game and force them into a one-dimensional situation, and that's what happened in the second half. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. The reaction wasn't uh, we made a halftime adjustment. The only adjustment they made was with their ears. Yeah. Listening to the game plan and trusting the game plan instead of trying to freelance and do it themselves. I was watching Alec Ogletree, the cowboy, the, uh, the, the quarterback of the defense, and he's walking up and down the defensive side of the bench, and he's tapping his temples as in focus. That's what he was saying. Focus in, focus in, focus in. And focus and trust go together. So hear the call, understand the call, and understand your responsibility in that call and what they're trying to do to get you out of it. And if you get all 11 playing on the same philosophical level, mm-hmm. there's really no place for the football to go. I mean, they're gonna, you're going to have them surrounded. Since you mentioned Tree, the captain, uh, he missed a big shot on the sideline, resulted in a, D- a Zeke touchdown. He's hearing it from the fan base a little bit. What's your temperature on the way he's played through a quarter of the season? Well, it's going to happen again. Um, If you go all the way back to week one when Mo Alexander missed an open field tackle, probably on that same sideline, same exact play, they're going to keep coming back to stuff like that uh, until you make plays in the open field. So if you want to be listed with the top middle linebackers in the game, you've got to make that Mm. play. Uh, you've got to force that guy either to cut back to the middle where your where your help is or force him out of bounds or just make the tackle on the sideline. So uh, having that happen to you, then, I mean, you can just kind of tamp down on the I'm the best in the league type stuff for a while. Yeah, he's DeMarco Farr. I'm J.B. Long, and this is Rams All Access, previewing the Cowboys and the Rams Sunday at the Coliseum. Here's what Sean McVay had to say about evaluating the defense that might be better than their statistics indicate through four games. We're concerned with what shows up on the tape, and, and you know, sometimes there's going to be plays that are made, and I think a lot of times if you get caught too caught up in the numbers, you can get a little bit misled. You know, to their credit, you know, they get the one run that comes out for a big gain. Des made a couple catches. You know, Dak, you know, has showed why he's a special player, able to create off schedules but what we try to do a good job of is while that can sometimes give you good indicators Gary it's you know what is showing up on the tape based in based on you know whatever that call is are we playing the alignment the assignment and are we playing with the technique and the effort that we coach and and if that shows up we feel good about that and I think a lot of that stuff is I think that holds true for the offense too on the other side of the coin do we really believe the Rams are the most dynamic the most prolific offense in the NFL for the remainder of the season Probably not, no. And we probably agree with Coach McVay that they're trying to fix 
specific things that show up on tape. They're not concerned with being in the low 20s on defense because that's probably not where they're going to end up. No, I mean, and this, and you're up there with me. Um, I don't see guys just getting run over and manhandled on defense. I just don't see that happening. Uh, even the big run that happened with Alfred Morris, it was the perfect call for what, you know, the the what the Rams had sent in uh, against Dallas, and he hit it for a long run. Now, the best part about that is you ran him down and you gave yourself another shot to line up and play again. So the effort is there. Even going back to um, uh, San Francisco when Pierre Garçon beat Tremaine Johnson over the top, he caught it, deep ball, but that's all you got. You got to line up again. So you're giving up some plays, you're giving up some yards, but you're doing the little things right that when you finally sew it up and you get – and you hear this a lot, when the defense starts to gel, all that stuff will take care of itself. So there's there's a lot to like. There's there's few things not mm-hmm. to like so far. Uh, up at the facility this week, I had a chance to catch up with outside linebacker Connor Barwin, and I posed some similar questions in terms of what do you make of the second half at Dallas, and might it be the start of something special for this L.A. Rams defense? We weren't happy with the first half. Uh, you know, we made some mistakes. They did what we thought they were going to do, um, and they did it well, and, and we made some mistakes, and they hit some plays on us. And the second half, we really just tightened everything up. Uh, you know, we, we, we did the plan that we prepared all week and executed it, uh, and, we, and we saw when we do that, we can be a really good defense. Would it be fair to say that might be the start of something then? It, it, was, it was two good quarters, and we need to build off of that. Um, you know, the fun part about winning in this league is that when you win every game gets bigger um, and obviously people are talking about that it's Tuesday um, and that was a big win but now this Seattle game is much yeah. bigger than that Dallas game uh, one challenge in particular for the Seahawks is Russell Wilson and getting there is one thing finding a way to tackle him is something entirely different isn't it yeah he's uh, he's an incredible athlete I, you know I've they've obviously played him a lot I played him a couple times in my career in the past and he is he is legit you know four three four four guy uh and just really smart knows what he's doing and uh we'll have to be really good up front against him well thanks for your time and I hope the uh, dental work gets all healed up before Sunday thank you man see ya is that what's going on there? The oh. dental work uh, was in reference to the whole right side of his face, which had been numbed up. I think he had some <laughs> cavity work done on the off day. So that's uh, the conversation with wow. Connor Barwin. If he was on the run from a bear, he'd be fine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you, because the way he plays, he sneaks up on you. You think he's dead, and then all of a sudden he pops up, and he's got a sack and a half tackle for loss, and he caused a a, a – a series to end. Uh, he's just that sort of guy. He's very crafty with his business. I thought you were talking about Russell Wilson could avoid a bear, and he's going to have to avoid a couple of bears on Sunday. I don't know about four three four four guy, but he is very sneaky and very shifty. Um, so, like I said, Russell Wilson definitely knows what he has in front of him in terms of offensive line. So when you watch him play now, uh, he doesn't even wait. Uh, the first sign of pressure, he starts to move. Um, so when he starts to move, the guy that stands out on the other side is Baldwin. He seems to move with him. You know, he's like Golden Tate was. Mm. You know, they're great on the jazz session, the scramble play, but Russell Wilson's going to have to move just to keep plays alive this week. Uh, Not as big but faster than Dak Prescott, and in some ways I like the back-to-back test for this Rams defense because Prescott does not get enough credit for the damage that he can do off schedule on the perimeter, and we know that Russell Wilson might be the best at it. No, uh, Dak Prescott, when pressured, will attack towards the line of scrimmage. He's going to pull it down and run. Russell Wilson is always going to try to attack the edges. He wants the sideline. He wants that safe place to either head out of bounds or slide. So uh, it's going to be doubly important for 
Connor Barwin, Robert Quinn, whoever's in the game, Matt Longacre, to make sure you keep contain on this. If you force Russell Wilson back to the middle of the field, he does not like it. He just, hates it in there. Just a couple of nuggets to back up what Russell, uh, what DeMarco said about Russell Wilson there. He leads NFL quarterbacks with 127 rushing yards on scrambles so far this season. However, he has not had success against the Rams on the road. Just 1-4, in four, a QBR below 50 compared to over 71 in all of his other road games. So the Rams do give him problems. We'll hear a bit more about that coming up on four down territory when we check in with someone who covers the Seahawks day in and day out. We'll also ask him about the state of the offensive line and the injury trouble. The bug has bitten the Seattle Seahawks as they head into the Coliseum in week five. This is Rams All Access to Marco Farr and J.B. Long on ESPN LA 710. I thought he played his best game just in terms of a complete game, ball security, being a great runner, setting up his blocks, pressing it one gap at a time, making some huge plays in the past game, did some things in in protection. So uh, that was his best game by far, in my opinion, and and I thought it showed, and I thought it was a key reason why we were able to come away with the win. Head coach Sean McVay on Todd Gurley, who backed up NFC Offensive Player of the Month honors with another NFC Player of the Week honor, a career-high 215 total yards, 121 rushing, 94 receiving, including that touchdown catch and and sprint from Jared Goff. Welcome back to Rams All Access. Week 5 against the Seattle Seahawks is on the horizon. DeMarco Farr and J.B. Long. What do you make of the fact that uh, Todd Gurley is having a resurgent season under Sean McVay? He's getting better. You know, I, I, I think I can, we can all say that he likes this offense. He, he likes his role in this offense. But he's getting better as a football player. And Listening to Sean McVay, I was thinking in my head, you know, running the football in the National Football League or anywhere for that matter, but especially in the pay league, it's not all about size and strength and speed. You got to know what you're doing. You got to know how to set up blocks. You got to know what we're doing on the other on the other side, what we're trying to do to get you stopped. And you're starting to see Todd Gurley grow as a running back. And what he's saying, it taking taking it from hole to hole, gap to gap, and then finding your spots and hitting them. Uh, so far, like versus Dallas, letter perfect. Hmm. Uh, you you helped your offensive line, your interior offensive line set up blocks, and then you cut off that. Uh, you made the defense pay for over-pursuing over time and time again. When they did have you wrapped up, you took all that was there. So that is the mark of a running back that's starting to come along. Uh, the folks at Football Outsiders have the Rams offensive line rated number three in pass protection, an adjusted sack rate of 3.1%. That has definitely benefited Goff and Gurley when he's been the target in the passing game. Uh, but the work up front, especially guard to guard, you thought might have been the best we've seen in some time between Saffold, Sullivan, and Brown at Dallas. That second half, and, you know, I like to watch body language. Uh, I, I'm big on that. And I'm watching the Dallas defensive linemen just tap their helmets, hands on hips, head down. Uh, that's a sign of guys getting tired and they're getting physically whipped up front. And then you go back and watch and you see Roger Saffold, you see Jamon Brown, you see Sullivan, you see guys that are in that interior falling forward, finishing guys after plays, letting people know during the game and on film, it's not safe for you in here. Uh, it, it's it's going to be dangerous for you in here, how we block and what we're doing. And then you have to deal with Todd Gurley coming behind that. So as long as you can continue uh, that sort of progress, and like we said, you're going to get a stiff challenge this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys can play. So, But it's there on film. You have to respect it, and you have to prepare for it. Uh, last weekend, it resulted in the third 30-plus point performance of the season here in 2017 after the Rams only did that once in all of 2016. That leads me to what's the difference? Is it coaching? Is it scheme? Is it player additions and subtractions? 
Yes, yes, and yes. Right. And the answer, of course, is all of the above. Right, right. But it, it also produced the most lopsided uh, fan poll results that we've ever had here on Rams All Access. Uh, we posed the question, to what do you attribute the improvement in 2017 most? Coaching additions or personnel additions? 91% to 9%, they think it starts at the top with Sean McVay and his staff. Agree, disagree? I, you have to agree. Um, we talked about that. We were at the for the first day of training camp, and it was a noticeable difference about how this team, this year's team, is going to go about their business versus what we saw in years past. Um, the coaching has been outstanding on both sides. Wade Phillips, really, I mean, for all the warts that you've had this year, think about it. You've just flopped over from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And you've lost one game. And not a game has gotten away from you yet. I mean, it takes teams years to flop over. And you're still looking and for to the, change out the person to change out. Work. Yeah, you're still trying to find the right guys to do it. And here you are uh, within a few fixes away from being pretty good, as good as your offense. So you have to give them a lot of credit. But on the personnel side, if I had to pick one guy, you know who I'm going to pick. That just changed everything? Left tackle. Absolutely. Andrew Whitworth has changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, when you talk about coaching staffs, their job is to make the people around them better. Players, staff, even the front office. Uh, is there any question that Les Snead and his group are able to do their job better because of the communication they're getting from the coaching staff? We saw that in free agency and in the draft. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, you have a guy in Jared Goff. You, you've sold the farm to get him. So why not get a guy to protect him, one of the best in the game? So that takes care of two spots in a hurry. Then you get more out of Todd Gurley because your quarterback is playing well. Mm -hmm. And, oh, by the way, if it's not working out for those three guys, you've got the best punter in the game that was brought here by Les Snead. And the guy that won the game for you last week was brought here by Les Snead. So there, there's a lot of good pieces on this football team. So uh, with an addition here at, at left tackle and a new head coach and a new philosophy and just a new air about things, uh, you're set up to be a pretty good football team, at least in the first and second quarters. Uh, two critical decisions to make this week that are kind of new challenges for the entire staff and their decision-making process. What to do at wide receiver with the return of Mike Thomas. We'll touch on that in just a second. But I think of... More urgent concern is, is Todd Gurley coming close to needing a pitch count? Because right now, uh, he leads the NFL in offensive touches. 54% of the Rams' plays go to him. Is that sustainable for a 16-game season? Yes. I think you know that you're for sure going to have 12 <laughs> more games, and, and I think we want to be mindful of that. I think you also got to do a good job of communicating with Todd. How's your body feel? How are you able to absorb these touches? Uh, and then Reggie and Ted, our, our head athletic trainer and head strength coach, they do a great job of, of, of being able to keep us in the loop with the best way to approach the weekly preparation and then also his load in the game. So... Those are things that you want to make sure that you're aware of and uh, you want to have him at his best later on in the season as well. So we might be more cognizant of, of spelling him a little bit, but make no mistake about it, we want the ball in his hands because good things happen when it, when it is. Can I share a story with you? Make your point again one more time. I, I hope I didn't cut off no, that no, I just, yes. God, just a story. This is a personal story with me and Coach Vermeil talking about I'm tired coach, right? So we set up a meeting in his office, and I walk up. It's 9 a.m. And on the video board behind him is all of my plays. And he keeps pointing out the good ones. And he says, I'm still looking for that tired guy. Where's the tired guy? I don't see a tired guy in this film anywhere. So why are we talking about being tired? Me meeting over. So as long as Todd Gurley is still ripping off long runs, jumping over people, he's fine. Keep giving him the football. I'll tell you whose problem it's not. Jared Goff's. Right. Because if he's on the field... <laughs> 
It's not Jared's job to avoid him in the checkdown game. Not at all. Because right. It, because that's where Todd has been at his most Feed him. And yeah. you know what? I'm starting to like Tavon as your backup. And So let's go there yeah. next. Because All right, so Mike Thomas comes off a four-game suspension. We found out early on that this new coaching staff really likes the role that he can play on this offense, especially on special teams. Don't know that we'll see a ton of them in the passing game just yet. But the Rams are going to become one of just two teams in the league that will keep seven receivers on their roster but that's only telling part of the story because Tavon is half receiver and half running back based on what we've seen so far. Well, I, I think Sean McVay and this coaching staff actually got it right with Tavon. He's a running back slash receiver, not the other way. Um, so as long as you can list him like that, then mm-hmm. Mike Thomas has a place in this receiver core. And look, at, at some point when you actually see him on offense and you see him run straight ahead, you have to honor that as a safety. Or a corner to that side. The guy can flat out run, and he's going to be fresh. Yeah, runs of 12, 14, and 14 yards last week against Dallas, lining up on what they call the home position yeah. as the tailback, as we've seen Todd Gurley do it. You know the other spot where they got uh, Tavon Wright? Just because he's running a fly sweep doesn't mean you have to give him the football in the fly sweep. Just enough to keep the defense honest. Otherwise, it's what we call ghost motion. I, I, every time I watch it, I slow it down to see how much reaction you get, and that's what they're watching for. At least three guys move with him. Yeah, it yeah. produced the girly touchdown as yep. well. So uh, a lot of beneficiaries because of what they're doing on the offensive side of the football. Time to go to Seattle next. Four down territory and an inside look at the Seahawks as we preview week five here on ESPN LA. All right, it's time for four down territory, our weekly trip inside opponents territory. We check in with Brady Henderson, who covers the Seattle Seahawks for ESPN and ESPN.com. Uh, Brady, I know the injury report is long at this stage of the week. Maybe you can condense it for us by just telling us who won't play. Who do you think will be inactive on Sunday? Yeah, well, we know that Chris Carson, who's been there starting running back over the first four games, we know he's not going to play. He was placed on IR because uh, he broke his uh, or he suffered a, a ankle and leg injuries last week. Cliff Averill, uh, one of their Pro Bowl defensive ends, he's been ruled out for the game. Uh, and then we're not sure about left tackle Reese Odiambo. He had a scary chest injury. Uh, he practiced yesterday, but it's still not certain if he's going to play on Sunday. All right, so then what's the plan at running back? You mentioned Carson going down for the year with uh, that ankle and leg injury. There are plenty of options, plenty of names that we know, but maybe not necessarily in the order we expected in the depth chart. Yeah, exactly. They, 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 they're still pretty well stocked in their backfield, which is why they didn't end up adding a running back after Carson went down. And, you know, Pete Carroll has really at every turn almost, he has kind of give, given pretty strong hints that it's going to be Rawls. Uh, even though Thomas Rawls was a, was a healthy scratch on Sunday for that Colts game, uh, they've dressed Eddie Lacy instead. Um, my sense is it's going to be Rawls, and that was kind of, that would be in line with what we saw over the summer. Uh, before Rawls hurt his ankle, and then Chris Carson really grabbed a hold of that starting job. So I think Eddie Lacy's going to mix in. We're going to see some C.J. Procise if he's healthy, uh, but I think it's going to be Rawls. My, my sense is that Rawls is going to be be the lead option in that backfield. Brady Henderson joining us from Seattle for Four Down Territory. Question number three, from the Pacific Northwest perspective, how much of a mismatch is Seattle's offensive line against the Rams' defensive line? It's it's a pretty big one because this is you know every year this is the sort of the weak link on the Seahawks, uh, and that's you know every year it seems like that's the, the strength of the Rams at least on their defense. I know their their offense is putting up a lot of points this year. Um, it's just a, it's a really difficult matchup, and it's no wonder why games have gone the way that they have. Uh, you know a lot of those games have really been decided with that matchup where the Seahawks just can't keep Russell Wilson upright. Uh, I looked it up yesterday; he's been sacked 39 times in 10 games against the Rams. That's his most against any other team. Um, and it's going to be another challenge this week because, as I mentioned, Reese Odiambo 
Um, he's, he's uncertain to play, and he's really their backup left tackle because George Fant was going to be their starter. He went down in the preseason. So if Odiambo can't play, they could be down to, to plan C at left tackle against a very good Rams defensive front that has just given them trouble over the years. Okay, last one, Brady, and it's a bit of an intangible. I'm wondering if you have a pulse of how the Seattle roster, the locker room, the staff, the front office, how do they feel about the Rams right now? Do they think that Los Angeles is a real threat to their NFC West crown? Yeah, I, I think, you know, just based on how those games have gone, I mean, you know, the, the, even though the Rams have just struggled over the last decade, they're 5-5 five and five against the Seahawks, um, you know, in, in their last 10 games. It's just, like I mentioned, it's always been a tough matchup. So I, I think there's a lot of respect uh, for the Rams. There has always been respect for the Rams' defense. And then, you know, this week the, a lot of the talk has been about, um, you know, just the offensive turnaround that they've made with Jared Goff and Sean McVay and uh, Todd Gurley doing what he's doing. So I think there is a, there is a tremendous amount of respect for them. Um, and, you know, we saw what happened last season. They went down there and, and couldn't even score a touchdown in a, in a 9-3 Rams win in Los Angeles. So, um, you know, the season is early, and, and obviously a lot of things can change. But I, I, do, I do think that there is, you know, that the Seahawks have taken notice of what the Rams have done, certainly. Well, Brady, safe travels and take the over on 0.5 touchdowns in the uh, 2017 <laughs> edition, okay? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll hope so. Uh, DeMarco Farr and JB Long as we continue here on Rams All Access on ESPN LA 710. And the the last answer that he gave to me is is what it's all about this week. Last week you proved that you're a contender, right? That you're a playoff contender Mm -hmm. for the Rams by starting 3-1. and You win this week, you become the division favorite. And I, I think as long as you get two of the next three, you stay in the playoff hunt, right? Yeah. But if you win this week, no matter what else happens before the bye, I think you're looked at as the team to beat, the new team to beat in the NFC West. Your whole life changes. The expectation grows. Um, it, it's everything. Seattle's everything you want to be when you think about it. They've gone everywhere you want to go. They've been to the postseason. They've been to the Super Bowl. They've won a Super Bowl. So you want to be like them. And to get to where you're going, you're going to have to go through them. But if you do, let's – pretend like the Rams have already won that game. Well, now every football show on TV is going to be talking about you as a playoff Super Bowl contender. That's just how it goes. So, And that brings its share of problems, too. I mean, expectation is tough to deal with. Uh, you know, dealing with being a bad football team is rough. Uh, but I think dealing with expectation is even tougher. Um, because like Connor Barwin said, with each victory, it ramps up each and every week. So you'll be everybody's big target, everybody's big game, but that's what you should be expecting if you're planning on being a playoff or Super Bowl football team. Uh, Rams looking for their first 4-1 and one start since 2006, and that's kind of why I posed the question, how are the Rams viewed in Seattle within that organization right now? Because they, <laughs> they're, they're, they're king of the castle, right? Yeah. And, and they don't necessarily like the Rams, but do they respect the Rams, or do they still see them as, as the little kid? As, um, as... I, it's, it's, I wouldn't say little kid. It's just if you go back and watch those games, like the – the the uh, the the first game in, at the uh, Coliseum last year, uh, w- when they won without a touchdown. If you watch that game with Seattle, they'll tell you about eight different ways where they could have won. Um, if if you watch the game that happened in Seattle, they'll say that's us and this is who you are. That's what they think. So uh, it, it's going to be that way until you beat them definitively. And, and this could be your year. And the Rams have beaten Seattle. Don't get me wrong. It's five and five over the last You've 10, won the game. Especially, especially <laughs> at home. Yeah. But there's something different, I think, about Seattle and Pete Carroll and Richard Sherman and Russell Wilson and everyone hearing, oh, the Rams. The Rams are playoff contenders. Oh, the, oh, the Rams are a threat in the NFC West, really. 
I think that sets a different tone this week given where they've been and where this franchise in Los Angeles has been. I think it'll, uh, yeah, it, it, it'll, how do I say this? If they do, it'll mark the end of their run, so to speak, because they've kept the Rams down oh, yeah. for so years. A win, a win this weekend would be a shot across the bow at the, at the Seahawks dynasty out west. Yes, um, you could say they're, they will now become an aging football team if the Rams, like, dominate them, if they can win the football game without special teams tricks. And just beat them straight up. And here's the thing. Right now on paper, they should. I mean, this feels like last year's 3-1 and one in, in only one regard. The Rams are healthy. They, they had the healthiest season in recent NFL history last year and couldn't capitalize on it. But you look at the injury report, the Rams are already winning going into this week. No doubt. Big time. Just the one equalizer or the one thing that puts them over the top is probably Russell Wilson. Yeah. yeah, I mean the guy can do a lot with. But a Seattle's not getting pass rush, and now they yeah. don't have Cliff Averill. Maybe not just for this week, but maybe for an extended period after that. They may not have Jeremy Lane a starting corner against the yeah. top scoring offense in the National Football League. And then you turn the tables; their offensive line is a sieve, and LA's getting pressure on one out of every three dropbacks. That's the number yeah. two rate in the NFL, and they're giving up tons of pressure on their offensive line. Britt, the center, got ragdolled. Luke Jokel is a failed left tackle playing guard, so I would expect, like we said, the Rams are going to have that advantage. But you still have to get Russell Wilson down on the ground, and that's tough to do. And, you know, Seattle did get some pass rush last week. They absolutely brought it mm. on, on Brissett later. So without Cliff Ravel, they're going to just unleash Frank Clark. Frank Clark is going to be a problem for whoever he lines up on. And Michael Bennett is still out there. So there's there's some pro- – and Sheldon Richardson is a welcome addition to that D-line. So he's the guy that, depending on who he's on, whichever side, what guard mm-hmm. he's on, that could be a problem. And look, objectively, is Jared Goff, you know, in his second year due for a bad performance? Potentially. And is Seattle, I hope not. Is, yeah. is Seattle <laughs> tough on opposing quarterbacks? Yeah. Uh, actually, they're the they're the fifth lowest QBR to opposing quarterbacks in the National Football League. So you might yeah. say, "Oh yeah, well they, they haven't the quarterbacks haven't had success against them because Jacoby Brissett played against them in their place in prime time and got and, smashed, and they've already got Brian Hoyer on their schedule. So of course the quarterbacks that have played against them don't look very good. Yeah, but oh by the way, their two losses this year at Aaron Rodgers at Marcus Mariota. So the good balance is out the bad in the Not quarterback bad. schedule. And don't forget, Bobby Wagner's also out here, so out there for them. And he's just as smart as anybody on the field. So this is what I mean for Jared Goff and where he's going to have to take it up a notch or take it to a whole new level. So Sean McVay calls what he's been calling, the play fakes that manipulate a defense. So Jared Goff is expecting whoever, the linebacker or the safety, to move with play action. So when he spins around, what if they're still in that same spot? What if they're not buying play action? What if they're not collapsing on the run like everybody else has? Well, you're going to have to take it up and find a way to beat that defense with your arm. Only guys like Aaron Rodgers and Marcus Mariota, when he's healthy, have been able to do it. So maybe Goff will be the next. Yeah, I think this was a good teaching tape, uh, once again, for Jared Goff and Sean McVay coming off the win at Dallas because he made some clutch plays late that were very strong. His touchdown throws were executed nicely. Uh, but there was plenty to pick at as well. I, I think, you know, from what we've seen from Jared so far, hopefully this is the new baseline. This is the new... Yeah, I played okay. I did enough for us to win, but I didn't win the game for us because he he threw at least one ball that should have been intercepted uh, in that fourth quarter. Uh, That's Earl Thomas. It would have been. He had another ball that was that was stripped out of his hand and could have been another turnover. Um, But look, uh, I asked Sean this week, "Do you need Jared to do anything more than he's given you so far?" And and I know they're going to demand more out of Jared, but in terms of what he's being asked to do, distributing the football, just keep it up. 
Yeah, just deliver the football, run the offense, and the rest should take care of itself. You know, at some point, um, and he's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve for whatever sort of defense he sees. He can go up tempo, he can slow it down. This is Sean McVay. Right. There's a lot of things they can do to to counteract what Seattle is going to show them. So as long as Jared Goff stays Jared Goff, the guy we've seen, good, bad, or indifferent, he's always the same guy, has been the same guy. That's been the best part of him. As long as you remain that same way, even if you're coming off the field with multiple three and outs, eventually you'll find a hole in this defense and exploit it. All right, we got one more segment of Rams All Access upcoming. We'll go inside the numbers and take a look around the NFC West as we explore the division. But I wanted to close uh, this segment, unfortunately, on a, a bit of a somber note. Uh, the Rams organization lost a, a 22-year-old young woman in the unfortunate incident in Las Vegas uh, this week, Christiana Duarte uh, was a training camp assistant with our Rams organization and part of our game day ops team. And uh, her family is obviously going through a, a really difficult grieving process right now. So we wanted to extend our thoughts and our prayers to the Duarte family. Uh, and thank you for uh, the time we were able to spend with Christiana. And we'll be back with more Rams All Access after this. Oh, we got a mix of positive and negative in Inside the Numbers this week as we welcome you back to Rams All Access to Marco Farr and J.B. Long. Let's get the uh, maybe the not-so-great one out of the way first, and then go we'll go positive it. from the Rams' standpoint. Uh, it has to do with the Seahawks. They have their bye after Week 5 at the Coliseum, and the Seahawks are always really good in their final game before a bye. They must just like having a good taste in their mouths uh, as they enjoy their time off. They've won 22 of their last 28 games prior to a bye week, best percentage in the NFL. I've seen the way they practice, and I've seen the way they vacation. Yeah, um, Pete Carroll probably sets it up that way, and that's the way he coaches. That They're a physical football team. They do a lot with their bodies. So if you know you're about to fa- face vacation, you're going to give it all you've got for that last game. Yeah, they're going to have to get a lot from less this week mm-hmm. because their injury report is pretty full. Uh, so Pete Carroll, the league's oldest current head coach against the youngest coach in modern NFL history, Sean McVay. All right, let's get to the Rams stuff. Uh, they are the first team since the 1954 Giants to lead the NFL in scoring after four weeks after finishing last the year before. It's been a remarkable wow. turnaround. What do you go 54 Giants? <laughs> they've got the top two individual scores yeah. in professional football and Todd Gurley and Greg Zerline coming off a new franchise record, seven made field goals. But here's one that kind of ties into you. Uh, this could be interesting to track. On uh, on Sunday, we're going to have to have uh, Julio with his abacus, okay? Because right now the Rams have scored 142 points through four games. Most points for a head coach in his first five career games since the merger with 20 points on Sunday. The Rams and Sean McVay will go past Chuck Knox and Dan Quinn into third place on that list. With 33 points, they'll also jump Bill Callahan and his 2002 Raiders for second place. But it's going to take a big day. It's going to take 75 points to get past Mike Martz with 217 (laughs) points in his debut season with the 2000 Rams. That's almost not fair. Tell us what you know. I mean, Mike took over a built offense. I mean, he helped build that greatest show on turf, and then Dick Vermeil decided to retire, and Mike became head coach. So that's almost not even fair. I don't, I don't think anyone is ever coming after 217 points in a head coach's first five career games. Yeah, I remember seeing I was hurt that day. Yeah, San Diego came to town, and watching Junior Sale cramp because Mike Martz refused to run the ball. He just threw it all over the yard and just – crazy so yeah that record will be fine but that's that's a good place to be 
for Sean McVay in this offense, this football team right now. So keep an eye out for 20 or more points and 33 or more points. Those are some milestones we'll be watching as we go against the Seahawks. All right, let's go around the division, and let's take a look at uh, Arizona at Philadelphia, the better of the two games. The Cardinals right now 2-2 two and two at Philadelphia. Carson Wentz and the Eagles 3-1, and one, but they have lost four straight games against NFC West teams. Uh, go Eagles. I would say so, yeah. I mean, go Eagles from our perspective, and I think go Eagles in this game. Uh, Philly's a team that you might have to contend with for potentially a wild card spot. Who knows? Maybe even home field advantage down the road. But we'll get there when we get there. For now, Wentz versus Goff again. You, you want another? <laughs> you want another NFC West team to take a hit? right? Absolutely, especially the Cardinals. Um, and I think Philadelphia is coming along just like Jared Goff. Carson Wentz is getting better with each and every outing. So they've turned the keys of the franchise over to Carson Wentz, and he's paying them back with some really good play. Wentz against Goff is looking better and better and better for a late season. Nationally oh, yeah. televised match. This could be one of those 10 year things. Could be good. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco, 0 and 4. At Indianapolis, 1 and 3. Uh, how about this? The 49ers have scored five touchdowns this season, all against the Rams. <laughs> no shock. They division have, rivals. They haven't scored a TD in any of their other three games this season. Um, they have a 31% chance to get the number one pick in next year's draft right now. Only the Browns at 40% are favored to be drafting first next wow. year over the Niners. I'm taking Indy. I think Indy. Like, Indy's got a pretty good defense, at least for what San Francisco is going to try to do to them. So I'll take the Colts. Uh, also winless, the Chargers and the Giants, but they play each other in Week 5. Something's got to give. Uh, <laughs> 0-4 team, so uh, one of them will get their first victory. Uh we talked about separation last week and Sunday at Dallas being a separation Sunday because so many teams were two and one. Well, you turn the page and including uh, both the teams that we're going to see Sunday at the Coliseum, 24 NFL franchises have at least two wins entering week five. That's the most in the Super Bowl era. 24 really? teams across the league are 500 or better. Parody? Well, I mean, it's or, just, or some of the elite teams haven't emerged. Yeah, it's just kind of when you frame the. I know what it is. It's New England. They're well, supposed to be undefeated. Well, and, yeah. and it's, it's winless teams <laughs> right. at the bottom, like the Chargers, Niners, and Giants, oh, who boy. are absorbing yeah. a lot of the losses. But uh, it feels great to be at 3-1. and one. It feels great to be in first place. But added importance again here on Sunday is there are a lot of teams that are feeling very good about where they sit in their division and where they sit in the wild card picture after a quarter of the season. I'm with you. And for this Rams season, just for me right now, and if you ask Sean McVay what's the most important game, he'll say the next one. And I, I agree with that mentality. Um, three and one's great. Let's start 1-0 in the second quarter. And 1-0 beating the Seahawks sounds a whole lot better than anything you've done to this point. See more and sit closer with Vivid Seats, an official partner of the Los Angeles Rams. Visit vividseats.com backslash Rams today to reserve your official ticket travel and VIP tailgate package to the next game. DeMarco, thanks for being here. Have a great rest of your week. Sunday, Coliseum, wear your throwback colors. I will wear them under my work clothes. <laughs> Hope you'll join us. Yes. Have a great week, and thanks for being here for Rams All Access on ESPN LA.